rambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns and money Dead, get me out of this Welcome, everybody, to episode 63 of the Matt Jones Podcast. It is our, or my, I guess, first episode in about four months. The goal uh, is to kind of get back into this. We're going to try to do one every Tuesday. That may or may, may, or may not happen, but uh, I'm going to try to do more than we've done. I've got now uh, Maria here to help us get ready for it. Today we're going to have do two things. Number one, Marcus Spears from... ESPN and the SEC Network is going to join us to talk a little bit of a kind of do our college football preview and talk a little bit about the season, but also just kind of what this year is going to be like, not just for Kentucky, but around the country. And then Ryan's going to come in and join me. We get a ton of questions over here via our text machine and via Twitter, et cetera. And sometimes we get to them on the air and a lot of times we don't. And I thought this would be a good chance just to sit and discuss them. Now, before I get to all that, one of the things, obviously, we've done with this show is I do kind of longer-form interviews. One of the things I would like to be able to do is have folks that you all are interested in. You know, we will have people like Marcus throughout the year that are, you know, talking about what's going on in college football or basketball. But if you're interested in talking to just other folks who, you know, maybe are national people or people that uh, you don't often get to hear in this context, give me some suggestions. I will try to get them on. We've got some stuff lined up over the next few weeks I think you'll like. But I wanted to get the first one out here before the first game. And so I thought Marcus would be, you know, a good person to try to do that with. So Marcus Spears and Ryan Lemon. And also, if you are uh, haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the Kentucky Sports Radio podcast feed. That is the one with the yellow ball and headphones and that's where uh, the football podcast is and some other podcasts including drew franklin and i are going to do a college football uh and basketball gambling podcast for those of you that wonder how do we pick our games and teams etc we're going to do that and that should be up i think starting uh, tomorrow on tuesday so with that said let's give marcus a call all right now joining me from are you in the espn newsroom marcus is that where you are I'm at SEC Network Newsroom. Okay, well, I can hear the r- bustling in the background, but when you get a big star like that, you got to expect him to be somewhere. Uh, the SEC Network, Marcus Spears from SEC Network and ESPN. How are you, my friend? I can't complain, man. I'm doing well, man. I'm actually sitting here going through uh, our first show, Breakdown SEC Nation, with our producer, Joe Disney, and our guy, Jay Mack. This is like my game plan, right? So you take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you install and you put in the new plays. And then on Saturday when we go and we actually on site, it's yes. game time. So I'm game planning right now. Now, I mean, you got to be this exciting time of year for you. Do you. Does it get your adrenaline pumping like when you played? Most definitely, because you have you have that same vigor to prepare. Um now, it's obviously not suiting up and actually going hitting somebody. That's a g- great feeling within itself. But the fact that I get a chance to watch film, the fact that we go through all of this information and news and I'm passing around notes uh, with my guys throughout the week, um, it's just like we did when I was playing. I mean, we we don't sit – we sit in a newsroom with an open form. 
I'm eating me some Jimmy John's right now, so it's not a meeting room. Where <laughs> no, wait a minute. Is, is that a paid plug right there, or is that just no, right it's not on a your plug. heart? All right. It, it is just, it is literally what I get 95% of the time I'm at work. <laughs> so All we right. just order some, and we sit there going through, going through the game plan, man. And it reminds me a lot of uh, when I was in the locker room and how, how we prepare. You know, I don't know about you. Ready. I've been down there into those studios. And, like, you see people watch TV and they see these ma- – and it looks like amazing production. That building, though, and where you all are, it's a very small sort of contained space. You know what I mean? Very, like, like, you guys are right up so. there next to each other. Yeah, no question. And, look, you have – people are shocked when they see it because it's ESPN. Yes. And they like you guys must work in a, y'all must be on Fifth Avenue in a <laughs> exactly exactly sixty foot uh, sixty floor skyscraper and you doing all of this stuff and all of these people moving around and screaming and hollering and all of that. Nah, man, we just get it done. We have a great set of producers, great people that get these shows prepared, and then you know our three little studios in the back, man. We get it popping in there. Now TV makes it look like magic. And looks bigger than what it really is, but you've been here. It's, it's small. <laughs> you know, I, I I have to tell you, I, I I've there's a ton of you all down there, and and I don't say this to all of them. I mean it. I think you are probably my favorite person that's on there with my guy Paul Feinbaum. Yeah. What's it been like doing that with Paul? Like he's a different character, isn't he? It's been amazing. He's a different character, but the thing that I respect about him is he stays the same. Yes. And I think that's what. That's the quality in people that I try to try to find, and you know we'll 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 either get along or we won't. But I I respect the fact that you are the same person, like you are who you are. Um, you know, and I've said this before. Paul taught me a lot about television. Um, taught me a lot about uh, how to prepare, how to get going. Um, you know, he sits on a show now for five hours. That's amazing. By himself every day of the week. And has to create content. His guys, Mark and John, do a phenomenal job as far as getting people to come on the show, put information together. So he's prepped and ready. But just watching him, I mean, it's like when you go into a locker room and you got the veteran in there and he does everything right. He has his plan. The times that he does everything. I was able to see that for my first you know, three years here at the network, and it it it's, it paid off. It helped me tremendously, and it also made me want to do more. So, yeah, it's it's amazing, man. Five hours, awesome dude. I don't think people realize how long five hours is. And Paul is an awesome dude. For instance, yeah. what he's done with me, like you know, mo- a lot of people in his position would see somebody younger. And they don't want to promote them because they're always worried about the future. And Paul does the right. exact opposite. And that's exactly why I like him so much. Let me ask you about basket or football for a second. Season starting. Give me your take yep. on Kentucky. <laughs> uh, the one thing I'm, you know, the, the jury's still out. And unfortunately, Dorian is injured and out. So that's, you know, that's tough news. Um, I'm, 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 I'm in this. I'm in this low spot with Kentucky and South Carolina. I think it's going to be the emergence of whichever defense they'll end up having a chance to to really compete with everybody um, in the SEC East. Obviously, I picked Florida to win it. Georgia is the consensus. Everybody thinks Georgia's going to win it. I don't think Tennessee is going to be as bad as people think they are. I know the hype is not behind them. 
like it's been the past two years. But between South Carolina and Kentucky, I think they jockey for that that spot and to possibly do some things that, you know, no one is expecting them to do. 17 returning starters. You won seven games. The way you ended the season last year against Louisville was great. Gave a lot of a lot of momentum pushing into this year. I think Stoops and I've been on record as saying, I think he did as good a job coaching a football team as anybody in the country last year. Really? Um, that's a that's a strong yeah. statement. That's a that's a think about it, Matt. Think about it. You lose the Southern Miss the first week of the season. That's that is a quick way to lose your team. Yes. I mean it is that's a devastating loss, especially when you've put new facilities up, mm-hmm. when you've talked about wanting to recruit better, when you've gotten guys in the in the program that you know usually wouldn't come now, they're starting to pay attention to Kentucky. Those kind of losses are not just about losses on the field. It can affect everything you're trying to build. And he was able to come back, make a bowl game, win some big games. I thought that was a phenomenal job. I mean, because, look, we're still talking about 18-, 19-year-olds that are very sensitive and don't respond to noise very well. Like, a lot of these guys aren't ready to face the scrutiny that they face a lot of the times. And I guarantee you it was a amount of scrutiny after they lost to Southern Miss. Like, oh, this is, this is worse, mm-hmm. especially with the momentum pulling into next season. And for him to pull that thing back together, for him to take a vested interest in the defense and to immediately see them improve as well, it was – I mean, that's what that's what coaching is about. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, that's the definition of it. And there was so much hype last year of people excited, and it felt like the, the program just deflated when they lost to yeah. Southern Miss. And then yeah. the push pushed back. You're exactly right. Does that – that Louisville game – I mean, just going back on it for a second, they were 27-point underdog. Lamar Jackson's yeah. the Heisman winner. I mean, that's got to be one of the more surprising results in recent years, doesn't it? And it was on their field. Absolutely. And not only that, you put up 41 points offensively. Mm-hmm. And and Benny Snell had a day, and some of your young stars emerged, some guys that you were going to have back. Um, I think a lot of that – a lot of that momentum is why we're talking about them in the light that we're talking about them now. Yeah. Um, you just you just don't have they. I'll put it like this: they stole two wins that nobody thought they would have. I agree. All right. And and when you do that, when you do that, but you can show now this year is the year where they can show some consistency, where they can show, yeah, we actually are better than people thought we were. Yeah, it's oh, we like, are better than the expectations. It's like you win a game of pickup and you got to hit the free throw to verify it or something. I mean, like absolutely. It, that, that's kind of what this is. Let me ask you about absolutely about a guy that that people talk about around here because he's from the state and he picked Kentucky over Alabama. Matt Elam, he's now a senior, mm-hmm. big dude yep. with all the tools. Your colleague Greg McElroy called him <laughs> out for being lazy, and it made a big story. Uh, yeah. Why do you think a guy like that it just doesn't click? Well, one thing, one thing first, Matt is is weight, brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the D line is no longer like we thought of as in the SEC 10, 15 years ago. Like Terrence Cody was one of the best D linemen in the country when he was at Alabama back in the day. He wouldn't play in this climate now. Really, you don't think so? Um, A dude like that couldn't nah. play now. 
Man, when you spread guys out, you got to have athletic D linemen that can roam around the field. It is a different game. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, and that's not, that doesn't mean that they aren't good football players. It just means that this, the way that this game has evolved up until this point, it's a different type of athlete. You see teams and schools recruiting differently because they have to, they have to adjust to what offenses are doing, especially defensively. It's all about athleticism now. You know, you look on D-line, you think about all of the guys. I, I'll give you a perfect example. Think about all of the guys in the NFL that are superstars on the D-line. Aaron Donald is like legitimately 280, maybe yeah. 275 when he when he chiseled up. Probably 8% body fat. Yeah. You think of J.J. Watt. Yeah. You think of what J.J. Watt is. You think about um, – just these Indomitian Sue is 305. Um, and he's as big you, as they get. I mean, he's one of the biggest ones. At he's one of the biggest ones. Yeah. The game has forced D linemen to become more athletic and more hybridish, as I like to call it, because you got to be able to play. In order to be a star now, you got to be able to play three downs. In order to affect the game, you got to be able to play three downs. And people say, well, Morgan, what you mean three downs? Well, on first and second down, teams tend to sit to have their heavy personnel yeah. and they want to run the ball or they want to throw off play action. So that gives you a little more time to get to the quarterback. On third down, obviously, money down is when you want your athletic guys that can get after the passer. Matt Elam hadn't afforded himself that opportunity because of his size. And then production. Matt, like we know what this business is, is what have you done for me lately? And from a production standpoint, with the hype of him coming out of high school, it hadn't measured up yeah. to what he, what people thought he would be um, at Kentucky. Here's the deal, though. All right, he he in his last year, he got an opportunity to play, and Greg was absolutely right about calling him out because sometimes for for the real players, like being in that position for the real players, it's either gonna light a fire under you, or you're gonna tuck your tail, or you're gonna pay more attention to the statement. And not a, not the attention to the meaning of the statement. So you were like, that was that's interesting. So you were cool with that. Like there was a part of me that wondered, do you do that with a college kid? They're not paying this guy. Like is that? But you were good with it. Well, I was good with it from the standpoint of this is how I would talk to these guys in person. Gotcha. Now you okay. know me on you know me on camera. I'm not really gonna go in like Greg went in. Unless it's just a guy that's out there being extremely terrible, but <laughs> but but if I was if I had the opportunity to to be at Kentucky and pull Matt to the side, it would be some it would be some man talk. Yeah. It would be some some harsh criticisms. It would be some stuff like that. And I've been I mean a couple of times I've said cats need to do this and do that and being harsh about you know their effort on plays and all of that. But with him, man. Take the challenge. Like that was a challenge. And as a as a competitor, as a football player, and, and the fact that Matt Elam knows he can be better than what he's been, all of that should be fueled. Gotcha. Take it, deposit it into the bank, and when the game starts on Saturday, use it. You start making your deductions. But um, you know, Greg was harsh, man. But this, you know, everybody got excited. Everybody got uh, you had one side that was like, yeah, he needed to hear that. You had another side of people, maybe fans or family members, like, you did wrong. Who is this guy to say this? He has no idea what it's like. The bottom line is this is football. Everything is on display. Your job requirement, um, whether you're trying to go to the NFL 
or whether we're talking about you in college as an analyst, it's unlike any other job when you play sports in either college football or pro sports. Your resume is always on tape. You can't lie about it. It's not some you can't tell people that I'm a baller and you end up with 20 sacks at the I mean 20 tackles at the end of the year. That's not balling, bro. Like everybody sees that. So for him, he needs to take it as a challenge, step his game up and get going. And and use that as motivation as opposed to having your lips poked out about what he said and the way the message came across. You know, it could all work for you if you if you use it the right way. I know you got some other stuff to do, but let me ask you one thing I wanted your opinion on. I hosted Fine Bomb a couple times mm-hmm. this summer, and the thing that got I'm still getting messages about was uh-huh. I made a statement that I said I thought college football had changed in terms of now that every game's on television and that right. three programs that used to be dominant would never be like they were again. And my three were Notre Dame, Nebraska, and Tennessee. And my argument was Mm -hmm. all three of those teams used to be on television when no one else was on television. They could recruit nationally and regionally. And now every team is like that, and those three programs have been hurt the most. Do you agree with that statement? And then specifically about Tennessee. Can they ever be Tennessee again? I, I I don't know if any team. That's why we talk about what Saban is doing is unbelievable. Because the here's the thing, Matt. There's validity to that statement because everybody has the same access now. Yes. And and that's really what your point was. Everybody has the same like there's there's huddle.com out there. They they can find a player in a town that we don't even know exists right now, um, playing football with a five star that's that just nobody knows about. Everyone has that information now. Everybody's recruiting. Out of the same, out of the same base. So, the only way you become a dominant program in this day and age in college football is putting W's together and playing in primetime games. That's the only way you do it. Because if you're a team and you're on the come up, it has to be a class. It has to be a time where you have some players in your state or guys that. Let's just take Kentucky for instance. Kentucky can win games if one year the the best players in Kentucky, you get three or four of them out of Ohio and, and neighboring states or some of the – some guys that's just Kentucky fans want to come. Like, it can happen. In 2001, when I went to LSU, LSU wasn't a powerhouse. Like, the LSU that people think of now wasn't the LSU I grew up watching. Yeah. When Nick Saban came and we got the class – in 2000 yeah, with Corey Webster. And, Jerry DiNardo and we, was not racking was not, up no, Yeah, no one – no, they. this conversation wasn't ever had. I mean, I would have been a bigger LSU fan if they would have been like it's been for the last 15 years, but it hadn't. So what I'm saying is there are opportunities for every university to hit stride and then continue that success. The fear that I had at LSU, and and all of this kind of ties together, the fear that I had at LSU as a fan was when when Les was there, the the program had begun to take a step back. You can never take a step back. You may have have a down year. You may have a down year or two. But but at programs like that, you got to make a run for the title at least every five years. 
You know, you can't just be this team that was that won 10 games and, you know, the ones that they lost were, were the ones that they needed in order for the season to mean something. You can't do that anymore at those type of programs. That's why Mark Rick ended up out of Georgia. Was he a great coach? Yes. Is Les Miles a great coach? Absolutely. These guys can literally coach football, but you have to have your program relevant at those institutions for championships, not just a number of wins on the season, because usually at, at those programs, six of them are already guaranteed most yeah. of the time. Um, so, th- yeah, yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I see where you're coming from with the fact that it's just tough to dominate. That's why we marvel at what Urban Meyer has done. We marvel at what Nick Saban has done, what Dabo is starting to create at Clemson. Dabo is one of them guys I'm talking about that had that class, the quarterback. Mm-hmm. He hit on the quarterback spot. He hit on the running back spot, got some dominant receivers. He built that team from the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage. Now you see them start to become – Clemson wasn't – they were an afterthought just seven years ago. Like nobody thought about Clemson. But there are times programs can make that ascension, and once you make that ascension, you got to continue to keep that up. Tennessee is recruited great. Notre Dame has had some recruits. They got one of the best wide receivers in the country this year. Um, they built a program, but the history won't carry you anymore because everything is polarizing now. Everything is, like you said, on television. So, yeah, people people know about Notre Dame's history. They know about Tennessee's history. But that has nothing to do with the 2017 football season. And, nobody will, and no one will let you live on that legacy if you're not relevant today. To use the basketball analogy, you got to be Cal Perry and you can't be Tubby. I mean, because – There you go. I mean, there you go, man. That's really – There you tough. go. Hey, Marcus, always there when we need you. Great. Uh, great job and uh, look forward to seeing you this year and so hopefully at some point I want to be on Feinbaum when you're there because that's always the most fun because you come like, on man we're gonna get it cracking you like to watch <laughs> you like to watch Paul's face because I say what Paul wants to but he's too corporate to do nowadays he's too corporate to do it yeah yeah we need we need you to come add that griminess to it that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> add some griminess thank you Marcus alright man take Appreciate care bro it. thanks all right, thanks to Marcus there uh, for joining us. I always like Marcus. He, uh, Ryan Lemon is now here with us. Marcus is – a lot of announcers are boring. He makes me laugh. He still speaks like an actual human being. Big dude. Well, I think, think Marcus Spears, I think he's a big dude. He's a big dude. Now, you've been on the Matt Jones podcast. You were on the very first episode. Which I very much appreciate you doing that for me. Thank and you were you. actually on the last episode because we did that uncensored thing. That's true. So here's what we thought. Since this was the start kind of of a new season. All right. That uh, uh, we would sort of talk about and answer some of the questions that I get the most from the text machine, Twitter, et cetera, that maybe I don't get to, to – to get to on the show or for whatever reason we don't talk about as much on the show. Okay. And you could kind of chime in. Yes. Because as right. Marcus said, Paul Feinbaum can sit and talk for five hours by himself. I cannot. I feel weird talking by myself. I wouldn't want to talk for five hours by myself. He got to have some. Know, Paul just added an, another hour. So oh, he's on oh five. Gosh. So he's doing two to three on ESPNU and then three to seven back on. How? His. How's he do it? I don't know. By himself. Like when, when I hosted his show. That I could even I couldn't do it. Like I just you, you just feel like you're just sort of in the abyss, just yeah. sort of waiting around in the water. 
I don't know how he does it. That's a skill set that I do not have, the just talk by yourself forever. But he does have that great skill of bringing on a phone caller and letting them rant and rave for 10 minutes. See, I couldn't do that either because I want him to shut up. <laughs> I've talked about this before. Appreciate but I, the call. I, it pains me when people suck on, on the phone. Or whatever. I'm not going to say who this is because I don't want to embarrass them. But we were on our our new Kentucky project tour. And we went to like nine places. And in all of these places, uh, Adam – see, Adam – Adam Edlin. Right. Is an awesome dude. And he's very different than me, though. Like, Adam's a political guy. Right? He's been doing that his whole life. And, you know, political people believe that, like, you got to let – everywhere you go, let those people – in that political part, talk to. So that, like, all the public officials, everybody gets to talk. That's not how I roll. (laughs) I'm shocked. It's not because I don't want to hear other people talk. It's just politicians, when given a chance, won't shut up. True. And they get very boring. Yes. And the whole point of this is Adam and I expressing a new thing. So I don't want to hear all of these people. But thankfully, most of them were short. Good. Right? One person <laughs> was not short. And they would not stop talking. And I, it was all I could do not to physically tackle them and take the microphone from them. Because I can tell when you're losing a crowd. Yeah. And they would not stop. And I, afterwards, I was like, Adam, why do you let these people talk? And he's like, well, it's what you need to do. I'm like, I would not let this happen. Have organ- like The point is to entertain everyone, not to just let people massage their egos and speak to the world so didn't you physically go up and take them well, that was away? different that wasn't a speaker that was a guy who asked a question yes but yeah. but anyway all right so uh, i don't know how i got off on that oh we're talking about fine bomb doing five hours a day so so these are the questions we get and if you have any of these maybe we'll do another one of these in a few weeks 859-300-3264 is the text machine text machine all right so let me go through uh th- these are some of the uh, some that we get here's the first question Matt, I know you know, this comes from uh, Sarah. Matt, I know you know Mark Stoops and John Calipari and Mitch Barnhart from the coaching. Would you say that these three are your friends? And can you tell us what they're like when the cameras are not on? All right, so we start with that one. Uh, Here's how I would answer it. I don't know that I would say any are like close friends. I don't think that would be true. I think I'm probably the friendliest with Calipari. Um, But I don't know how you would say it. Like, we're the kind of friends that, like, if something huge happened in my life, he would reach out and say something. I believe that. And when I see him, we always talk. But it's not like we go hunting together. Yeah, Cutler always used to say, I I don't go bowling with him or anything. Did Cutler do a lot of bowling? Yeah, that's what it was always his comeback. And I thought the same thing. When did when's the last time you went bowling? I don't know why I went with hunting. Because, <laughs> hey, <hunters. I've, laughs> because I've never gone hunting. <laughs> so it's not only that I wouldn't go hunting with Calvary. You've never gone. I've actually never gone hunting with anyone. Um Stoops and Barnhart are kind of the same in the sense that we're friendly, but we're not like, you know, best pals. If you were to go through them, I would say this. Here's what here's the thing about Calipari. Calipari is just like what you think he is. Like, he's always on. He's always talking. He always is energetic. I don't think he's fake at all. 
from seeing him in private. That's true. Yeah. I, what he what you see with Cal is what he's like, including the parts of Cal that make you go, good grief. He's like that in private, too. <laughs> the difference, though, here's the thing I don't think people realize about him that's true, are how varied his interests are outside of basketball. He – and I would, I would venture to say, Ryan – 80% of my conversations with Cal are not about basketball. He said he likes politics. He looks at me as a person that he knows, knows about other things, and would like to talk about other things. Right. So he doesn't have to talk basketball to exactly. everybody. I think what he likes about me is he can sit down and ask me and say, what do you think about X? And I will know what he's talking about. Whereas a lot of his basketball folks may not. And I learned this early on. And this is a good lesson for people. If you know someone of prominence in your life, they will be much more likely to want to spend time with you and talk to you if you don't talk to them about what they're known for. True. Right. So I don't ever ask Cal for anything. I've never asked him for an autographed ball, you know, you know tickets. I've never asked John Calipari for one thing. And thus, he doesn't look at me – as another person who's trying to get something from him. Right, yeah. Like even information. I don't ask Cal for information. Now, if he happens to give it to me, good. But I don't ask him because I don't want him to think that's what I'm – and by the way, I find myself doing the same thing. Like my friends that don't ask me for anything, <laughs> I'm much more likely to spend time with. Does that make sense? I thought you loved it when everybody came up and asked you for tickets. I mean <laughs> – it's never my close friends that ask me for tickets. It's funny, like, a lot of times, like, when you and I go to lunch, we don't talk about sports or what was on the show. I don't talk about sports ever yeah. if, if, <laughs> if given the opportunity. No, I mean it. Like, like we went for my birthday the other day. I don't know that basketball or football came up. Did UK up? basketball. I'm, I'm certain it probably did not come up. So, so Cal, I think people will be amazed at how much he follows and cares about politics. I was amazed and surprised when you said he that. He really is into politics, and he probably talks to me about that all the time. And, you know, the problem is I can't sh- – people would be fascinated what his opinions are, but I just don't feel like – He I trusts you that. to yeah, – you're not going to tell on would, the show. I, I wouldn't do that. But I um, – so that's probably the most surprising thing. But as a human being, Ryan, he's exactly what you would think. See, I don't, I don't know him on a personal level at all. The only thing he knows about me, he goes, oh, yeah, you're the guy that does that radio show with Matt, and you're the guy that hit the home run off Matt in my softball game. you did not hit game. a home run. That was foul. That, every time I see him, that's all he wants to talk about. Does he say that? You know that was a home run. Does he really say oh, that? Oh, yeah, because you know, he was my coach. He knew it was a home run. That's yeah. it. That's all he I, knows. I think he's lying about that. Um, Mark Stoops, I have only, tw- I think, twice hung out with Mark Stoops socially. I was at his house one time long, a couple years back. Uh, hung out with him once socially when he first got hired. He is a guy who I think has kind of created a little close group of friends, and he kind of remains in that group. I, I'm certainly not in that group. Um, I think he, too, is very similar to what you think. He's very fiery. Intense. Every yeah, I think he's, like he's intense. He's fun-loving, but he's very, like, like he's into things. But he's very, I, I think he's a very fun-loving like, I think I I, th- I really I really think he's a good guy and, and an enjoyable person to be around. He's the perfect guy for this job at this time because no he's doubt. energetic and he can bring people into the yeah, fold. Yeah, he's one of these people who everyone he meets he remembers their name and can tell you something about them. 
Cal's not really like that. But he'll be like, oh, Danny, you've been playing any snooker recently? <laughs> Danny plays snooker? Danny plays snooker. I didn't know that. Barnhart, I had no relationship with for nine years. Like, none. Yeah. And just in the last year, it's been it, – it, we've started not to hang out, but become he, – he is, he is, I think, a, a wonderful person, don't you? I, of the three, he's the one that I, I know the best. You probably know him We've been around for such a long time. Yeah. And he is as genuine a man – as good as he is as an athletic director, he's a better man and a better person. I mean, I, I truly believe that. I mean, he's a good family man. He cares about these athletes so much. And just I've been fortunate enough to have some conversation with him over the years to get to know him a little bit better. I, I admire and respect that guy a lot. He cares about people a lot. He does. I think I told the story about what he bought me before I went on my trip. Didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you didn't tell it on the radio show, I don't think. Have I not said that? I don't that? think you said that okay. on the show. So, so probably like back – all right, so he and I had – well, I'll tell you, it was back with the checkerboard controversy. I think when I kept asking him about the checkerboards, I genuinely think it made him upset. And the last time I think he was really upset. And so Dwayne Peavy was like, you two need to talk. So I went to his office for like two hours and talked to him. I had never really – I don't think I'd ever been in his office. Yeah. And it was intense at first. It wasn't even about the checkerboards. It's just – he and I are very different types of people. I think we're both very good people, but in a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm – I just think we're different. And I think he never really knew what to make of me. But when I started talking to him about a lot of the stuff I do that people don't know about, I think he realized that in some ways we have similar things, right? We're very different politically. We're very different in a lot of ways, but I think – at some point during that conversation, I think he realized, okay, maybe Matt has a good heart. Yeah. And in the course of talking, I talked to him about how I write in journals during certain events in my life, just because it's a very sort of good way for me to let out things I can't otherwise. Well, when he knew I was going to Europe, he, I think at one of the last baseball games, brought me a leather journal that he had bought that he said I wanted to give you this because I thought you could use it to write while you're in Europe how kind is that very thoughtful I mean it had months after the conversation yes like months after the conversation he not only remembered that to take the time to do that right I mean that's like one of the most thoughtful things I can think of he's a pretty busy man yeah for him to be and so I used it and I, I just thought that's to me, said a lot about him as a human. That's exactly right. It says a lot about him as a person, not an athletic director, not the guy at UK, as a person, who he really is. Okay. And K- Kentucky's been very blessed to have him. There's no doubt. I, I don't think there's uh, there's any, any doubt about that. Um, okay, next question. Have you all ever had any difficulties in dealing with the coaches or UK? What are the worst difficulties you've had? Um, during the Billy Gillespie era, there were a lot of difficulties the second year because he thought we were actively trying to sabotage him when we were just actively trying to note how ridiculous he was. <laughs> but he would literally – he would Billy's staff would plant 
quote-unquote fake news on the Internet to try to catch us. Really? I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah, he did. And one time they didn't catch us, but they did sort of say, okay, so there was – Mark, it was a lot of – Mark Maggard was their guy, right? And they would use Mark Maggard to plant information out there. And Maggard basically – 90% of the stuff would be real, and then he'd have this 10% fake stuff trying to see if we would put it on the site to say, ha-ha, it was fake. But, like, Maggard had become a source. You know what I mean? When Maggard wrote something, you knew that it was coming from Billy. So, yes, we would put it on the site because Billy probably told him. Probably told him. Yeah. So when he would put fake things on the site, <laughs> we'd still put it and go, Maggard says this, and then they go, ha-ha, you got caught. no. We just used you as a source because you've been a source, right? Yeah. But he was—he he became obsessed at the end, a la like Richard Nixon, of who he thought the enemies were, and and he probably put me as one of those. But you guys were close to begin with. I mean, weren't we weren't you? close, but we were friendly. Because he called you Law he'd Dog. He called me Law Dog. He'd go, "Hey, Law Dog, you been doing any Law Law Dog?" And like, how do you answer? It was like it was the only thing he could say to me. I think he was trying to be friendly. But he'd be like, law dogs, <laughs> law dogs watching some basketball. Why aren't you doing law, law dog? <laughs> Is that your Billy Gillespie impersonation? <laughs> I just don't know. What, I don't know what he wanted me to say to those comments. <laughs> you doing some law? Law dog. Law dog. Um, but I, I've had no real bad interaction with Cal. We, he, got, we got in trouble at a U.K. football pregame show one time. Yeah, because we had Drew Barker on. Yes, and yeah, that's Thaddeus probably the maddest UK's been. We Drew Barker was on his was on an unofficial visit. We did not know that meant he couldn't be on the show. We had him on the show, right? And UK had to report that to the NCA, and they were not happy about that, right? But right. we, I mean, I can't. I wish we hadn't done it, but it wasn't intentional. We didn't know that that was against the rule. Well, they gave us they gave us a one game suspension, and, and it was when Drew and I were at Indian Wells. <laughs> That's right. It didn't even matter. It you didn't were, matter. We you guys were weren't even that, here. We were gone. That we got suspended for one game. That's right. right. Um, with Cal, he's only been mad at me once. And why wouldn't even say mad? He was frustrated at me when I came out strongly that they shouldn't get that kid Tony Woods. Right. Remember that? Yes. From kid from Louisville. Because he'd been charged with sexual assault, and I said I didn't think Kentucky should bring him in, or I didn't think Louisville should bring him in. And then Kentucky was going to talk to him, and I was like, well, I feel the same way about Kentucky. And I think Cal didn't agree with me on that, but he ended up going to Oregon, so it didn't matter. Right, right. Yeah, I can't think of any other issues we've had definitely since we've been doing the show, the Football, radio show. I mean, nothing big. I can't – I mean, I think the athletic department was upset when I said after the Western Kentucky game that, that Joker would have to be fired. I think they wish I had waited till the end of the year. But, like – you have to go with the fans. And right. Ryan, the fans all wanted him gone, right? So, like. We were as fair as we possibly could, I think, during that Joker's, you know, final month or two of the season when it was obvious they needed to make a change. But yet we, were, we didn't make it personal against yeah. Joker at all, I don't think. What's been I, – I, has the hardest time for you been when Matthew Mitchell was going through all that? That was definitely a difficult time because I felt like I was not doing my job as a media reporter. I was definitely signing you, with him. Do you think you look back, you wish you had done that differently? I don't think I would have. I mean, even if even if I was But more, do you think you're too close to him? Uh, you know, that's a good question because I, I had my boss told me a long time ago, don't become friends with the people you have to cover. Yeah. Because there's going to come a time you're going to have to report something bad or negative against them, 
can you do it? And so when, when, when that was going on with Matthew Mitchell, you know, I, I, I knew a lot what was going on, and I didn't want to, out of respect for him, make him look bad. And yeah. I didn't. And the show, and you and I were going back and forth about it. You were trying to – well, I mean, I, I liked Matthew Mitchell, but at some point it is what it is, right? Like at some point, I don't think you should become good enough friends with them that you like you can't. So, so let me put it like this. There's not been one coach that's been here that I would consider a real true friend except Slice. And I would have had a hard time being, being objective about Slice. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, when Slice left, that made it easier because I was just – and I still – I mean, Slice sent me like the nicest birthday thing you could send today. Did he really? Yeah, I mean, Slice Slice is the best person. And and Dwayne Peavy is a close friend of mine. Yes. But Dwayne Peavy's not like in the personal like, – like you're not judging Dwayne Peavy's actions. You know what I mean? But if Dwayne Peavy were the AD here, that'd be harder. For sure. Me. That's right. Because he, and he that, is, that's something that could be a possibility down the road. Down yeah. the road. I mean, he is genuinely a friend of mine. I know he is yours too. Yeah. But I mean, I, but I, the rest of them that hasn't happened. But that is true with you and Matthew Mitchell. So it's tough, you know, to try to be objective with what was going on during that time and yet not betray. I felt like a friend or a friendship. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was difficult. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. I felt. You know, I felt very close to Tubby. I mean, we weren't. Great friends, but well, no. I when we were in Memphis, he clearly knew you yeah. and, and was clearly like glad to see you. Yeah, and you know there were times where I, you feel uncomfortable about saying something about somebody you're friends with. For it's sure. tough though, but to me, this is the reason I think you have to do it. Your credibility matters more than that. Like I said this to Mitch during the Joker stuff. I said, "No offense, Mitch. There's a really good chance if this goes the way I want, I'm going to be here longer than you." Like, my loyalty has to be to the Kentucky fan base, not to an individual. That, that's hard. Because, that, like, I see that at Louisville. Like, I see all these media sycophants who are loyal to Rick, but Rick is not U of L. Right. U of L is U of L. Be loyal to U of L. Like, I remember when Jurich and those folks were on the media trying to get them to be loyal to Cragthorpe. And the people who were just like, oh, Cragthorpe will work, will work, they lost a ton of credibility because they were being loyal to Jurich and Cragthorpe and not U of L. And I think the same thing has to be true with us. I mean, I love Cal. Cal's been a huge success. KSR as a brand hopefully will exist longer than Cal, and so you can't just let that micromanage everything. I think anybody who knows you and have worked with you, they they know you, you will hold true to that. Regardless, even if it's Coach Cal tomorrow, you're yeah. going to hold true to if that. I di- if this is true in sports, it's true in s- culture, it's true in politics with me, I can't not say what I think. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, but I mean that. Have you, have you <laughs> Which ever? Which is true. I think that's what people have respect about you. Have you ever known you. me to be like a party line person? No. About anything? Even if it's against your own political beliefs or whatever, you still will stand up and say what you and think I is right. And I can't get up and say – I literally physically can't get up and say what I disagree with. Like, remember when I had to issue that stupid apology? Yes. Remember? I forgot about we that. We were at Red State, right? Red State barbecue. It literally made me physically convulse to say it <laughs> because it was so dumb. You didn't think it was well-written? It's not it about like whether it was well-written. It was stupid. It didn't I, sound like something you'd I, say? There was nothing for me to apologize about. But in order to get through that, I had to get up there and read these sentences, and it was stupid. 
and it literally hurt my body to do, but I had to do it even though I, and I wanted to do it in a way that everyone knew, look, you know I don't want to do this, but whatever. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. All right, here's one question. Um, Joseph says, Matt, what's interesting, you seem to talk about everything about yourself except who you date or anything personal like that. You will tell stories that are totally embarrassing, but you won't talk about that. Let me just say, of all the questions I get about U.K. football, U.K. basketball, I get more questions. When's Matt going to get married? When's Matt going to get him a woman? Is Matt dating anybody? Surely he took some woman to Europe. Is that true? You get that? Yes, all the time. Why would anyone care? Because you're a single eligible bachelor and... But why? I don't understand why any of them care. <laughs> like, I don't care who people are dating. Well, I mean, you are pushing 30 now, you know? <laughs> so it's time to settle down. <laughs> well, okay. So the, the funny thing, there, there are two rumors about me that go everywhere, which is that I date everyone and that I'm gay. <laughs> Those are the two things, and they're mutually exclusive. Well, I can vouch he's not gay. Not gay. How are you vouching? Are you personally I'm vouching? I'm personally vouching. <laughs> I put the move on him one time and he and shot me down. And I turned you down. And if you don't want to go with Ryan, you wouldn't want to go with anybody. That's right. Right? No, I mean, I, listen, I date. Yes, you do. But I don't feel the need to, like, talk about it because I don't want to embarrass or, like, put into the public spotlight these people. And it seems like, and I know you go out with, with women. But it's like it's almost like we never see you out with them. Like it's a but that's a, intentional. A mystery. That's intentional. Yeah. Like I don't want to do that. Like you don't have a date at Rupp Arena for the Kentucky Florida yes. game. And I don't bring dates to like major Lexington social events. Yeah. Almost ever. I, most of my friends don't know who I go out with. That's just my thing, right? That's true. I learned early on with you. I don't don't ask. You know, you'll, you'll tell me what you want want to tell me. Yeah. And if you ever meet someone for real, then they probably matter. Yes. Yeah. They've elevated themselves in, out of the friend zone. <laughs> well, I don't know if I call it the friend zone. <laughs> Lexington's a tough place, though, to date for me. We're a, Lexington is a small town. And it's all, all intents and purposes, we're a small town. Yeah. We know everybody. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's just a, different, it's a different gig. But I don't um, – I like that that's the one part that I sort of keep separate. And it's odd to me that people would care. I get more questions, I'm telling you, about you and your dating life or you and the political scene. Those are the questions well, I right, get so all the, the time. So that's the next question. Bob says, do you wish that you could talk more, less about politics? Do you think it's a mistake that you've ever brought it up? I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think that's hurt anything. I mean, there are a few people that don't like it. There may be more that don't like it. But it has also brought a huge new sphere in. That's right. Yes. We, Terry Miners always says, the worst thing you can become in entertainment is predictable. Right? And I realized about four years ago that what we were most vulnerable to as a business at KSR was people caring about college sports less. Right? Yeah. Because if they did, well, that's what we give you. True. Right? And so it occurred to me, 
we need to make sure that KSR as a radio show and to a secondary extent as a website is about other things too so that we can weather any potential storms. So let's say that college athletics got banned tomorrow. No more college athletics. KSR the radio show could still exist and flourish. Right in the middle of a restaurant bracket right now. Of course it would. I think the website would alter, have to alter some, but could also still make it. That's what I wanted to make sure. Now, the only reason politics became something is because politics became everything two years ago. When Trump ran, Trump made it to where, for right now, everything's political. Now, I'm not saying that's good. I don't think that's good. But you can't turn on the news without him being there. So if I'm going to talk about current events, you can't ignore that. Right. I saw this show I like a lot called Desus and Mero. It's on Viceland. It's not for all of you listening, let me just say. A lot of you would not like it. But if you're young and you like kind of different things, you might like it. It's two young, well, one black guy, one Puerto Rican guy. They're in their early 30s. And they just sit and talk. It's like two buddies that you just happen to run into. And they're harsh, and they are hilarious. And it's on Viceland, right? It's on 11 o'clock at night. I I think you'd like it, Ryan. I highly recommend it. It's really good. But they were talking the other night, and dude was, and he led the show with Trump, and he's like, I'm sorry I have to keep leading this show with Trump. He's like, but what do you want me to do? He just keeps doing stuff, right? Well, I mean, I don't, we don't lead the show, but it's like sometimes you can't ignore it. So do I wish we could talk about it more? No. I think we talk about it about the right amount. And two, I don't regret it because it's what people talk about. I think when people that know you, they know politics is something you are passionate about, especially when it comes to Eastern Kentucky. I'm not passionate about politics. I don't care who wins or loses races. I care about issues. Yeah. Okay. If Donald Trump had been president and had done the things that I want him to do, I'd be go for it, man. I don't care about the people. The problem that's happened with politics is we care too much about people and not issues. You support Trump. I I saw a poll. 52% of people said they would support Trump no matter what he did. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I saw like 35% said they wouldn't support him no matter what he did. That's also dumb. Right. Like it's not about the person. It should be about the issues. I'm passionate about issues. People are just people. (laughs) And like you said at the beginning, it has opened up a new – audience myself included i may have been one of the least political people you knew until we started doing this got involved and and i will say this i think we've run away some of the people who just can't stand physically to listen to something they don't agree with those people may have run away but we've picked up a whole new group of people to replace yes and there's a lot of people out there who if you said do you want matt to talk politics they'd say no but then when we do they're like well you that's an interesting blog. Some yeah. of the best shows we've done when we went to the Democratic Convention and the Republican Convention. I, I, I don't disagree with you on that. Now, then, the, the part two of that question is, does Ryan and Drew think you will run? I think there's absolutely no doubt someday you are going to run. And when that is, I don't know. It's like I said, I think it's something that's important to you. I think it's something you want to accomplish in your life at some point. So I think you're definitely going to run. I just don't know when you're deciding you're going to. I'll either run in the next five years or I won't. Like, it's never going to get any better for Democrats in this state. I mean, the trend lines are all Republican. 
And say, I mean, and that's fine. But like, from a, I mean, you, you, in ten years, I'd probably need to be a Republican to win. And and then there's a possibility of being an independent, but it's really hard to win as an independent. If I'm going to ever run, it'll have to be in the next few years. I will run. I would run. I won't say will. I would very likely run if Mitch McConnell is the candidate in 2020. If he's not, then it becomes tougher because I'd probably have some friends who would consider doing that. And you wouldn't want to run well, against Well, let me give you an example. I mean, I'm friends with Jamie Comer. Right. I'm not friends with, but I know Brett Guthrie. So those are two congressmen. I disagree with them on a lot of issues. They're both terrific per- people. Brett Guthrie might be the nicest person I've ever, like you'll ever meet. I don't want to run against those guys. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in a race where the, I have to sit there and we have to throw mud at each when I like both of them. You know but, what I mean? But you don't think they'll run if McConnell's running. Well, of course not. But if he doesn't run, I think they'll all run because Senate seats don't come open very often. Right. Now, there's a couple people that would run instead of, the, of McConnell that I wouldn't mind running against. But those dudes, and see, when I'd have to decide, I wouldn't know who's going to get the nomination for them. Right? Yeah. But McConnell, it's perfect. So. And the people ask me all the time, okay, if Matt runs and he wins, does that mean he can't be on the radio anymore? Well, here's what would happen. If we were to do that, this is the, this is, this is exact. I, listen, people act like I just haphazardly have thought of this. People go, well, Matt, have you thought about the radio show? No, I never thought about it. <laughs> never even considered what would happen if I would. If I ran, we would do this radio show, hopefully all the way through the election. If we couldn't do it on the air, and I think we can. I've researched the heck out of the law. I've had some major law firms, national law firms, look into it. I think I can stay on. If for whatever reason, from a company standpoint, or Mitch McConnell getting the FCC involved, I wasn't allowed, then we'll do an internet radio show and keep it going. There you go. Yes. The whole country will listen to it. It's true. I'm not kidding you. If Think about that, Ryan. If it was me versus Mitch McConnell <laughs> and one of the candidates was on the radio every single day, come on. And I would do it because the reason I would run is to be real. And there isn't a medium on earth where you're more real than radio. Would you I, agree? I totally agree with you that. You can't yes. fake this. Right. You want to get to know people – Get them to host a radio show. <laughs> TV, you can fake. Internet, you can edit. You can't fake this. Right. Live radio. You're there so, you your- know, the, the, here's what the law says. The law says you have to give the other candidate equal time. Equal time. Mitch, come host a two-hour show. We'll see who people like then. He would never do it. Of course he wouldn't do it. But if you, give, you, if you gave them the but opportunity, you've got your butt covered. I'd love for him to do it. Let people listen for two hours a day and decide who's more Kentucky. The ten minutes he was on with you that one time. He, he couldn't go ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love that. But now, besides that, like I would never run against Matt Bevin. Yeah. I, first of all, I'm not, I don't think I could beat him. Not right now. In yeah. the, in I mean, now things might change. But right now, I don't think I could beat him. Because my appeal is kind of the same as his appeal. I think he's bizarre, and I think he's doing some good but a lot of bad for the state. And I think his arrogance and his – just how nasty he is to his opponents is unnecessary. 
But with that said, what people like about him is he says what he thinks, right? Yeah. And he's kind of a rebel. Well, that's what people like about me. Right. So I just don't think I, – I don't. And, and there are more of his kind of people than, my, than mine right now. So I think he – I don't think I could beat him. Plus, I'm not – I don't know that you should go radio host to governor. <laughs> well, we've seen actors to governors. Well, we've seen reality show hosts to president. Where's that gone? <laughs> so, but a senator's a little different because you're not the the only manager. You're one of a hundred. Yeah, and so it's a little. I think of a different standpoint. I also think you should run for something. I think someday I will. We've you talked could about do it. the city council and still do this. Yes, and I think you'd be such a good city councilman. See, that's one of the things people. That's part of the new Kentucky project. Is everybody thinks governor, senator, president? What really matters is the city council, right. the school board. Like that's where decisions that affect people's lives are made. You know, your state representative. That stuff really matters. People get excited to vote for president. Your vote is meaningless for president, <laughs> but for your city and your school board, it might be huge. Someday, I hope you'll manage my campaign. I'm, I and, won't. And run a quality, clear of mud campaign and for city council against the other people in Masters and Station. <laughs> All right, somebody writes, Matt, you got started with KSR 12 years ago. What are the biggest changes in media you've seen since then? Well, every mainstream media entity is 180 degrees different than they were. Yeah. All the things the Herald and the Courier used to make fun of us for, they do. Yeah. All the online content. It's all the same now. It's all the same. TV stations, newspapers, radio stations, all online content. I used to say, I remember saying to a reporter here who got mad at something we did seven or eight years ago. I said, wait three or four years. You're going to be doing it too? And they do. Oh, yeah. The aggregation of stories, that used to be what made people so mad at us, is that we would just go, hey, here are all the stories, and you can link to all of them. They all do that now. Of course. Because it's what you have to do. Like, all we did was fill a void in the market. Now, where's it going forward? It's changing. I mean, Maria's sitting in here taping this. We are expert in the last six months, and it's going to continue for about the next year. We're changing what we're doing. We're going to have video. We're hiring a full-time video person. That's where it's headed. That's, Video's huge. But, yep. Well, it's not just that's where it's headed, but it's it's where the money is in ads now. And you have to have ads. I mean, people – charging for content to me is such a stupid waste of time. I mean, there are people that do it. If you're the New York Times, you can survive on that, the Washington Post. But I don't think the Herald and Courier can. No. I just don't. I mean, I I think if you're a national outlet with with huge audience, you can do that. But if you're something local, I don't think you can do it. No. I just don't think and, – and, like, for me, let's say I had 1,000 subscribers. Let's just say for sake of argument, which would be a lot, by the way. 1,000 subscribers to pay $10 a month, 2,000 even. Right, that's nice. But there are going to be – 15,000 listen to this little podcast we're doing right now. Right. Why would I want to trade that? That's so much more influence than the other. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And like you said, video, if the video links now, a lot of times when people are searching, if you don't have a video link, they'll just skip you and go to the guy that does, you know, yes. of the story of the day. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't do what you used to do. To me, 
it's just a different thing. And so I've always said what KSR's goal is, whatever the technology that exists, I want the brand KSR to dominate it. Don't be wedded to the technology. Be wedded to the brand. So that's why I think we're the number one Kentucky resource on social media. I think we're the number one website. We are the number one website. I think we're the number one radio show. I think we're going to be number one in video. It'll take us a little time, but we will. Um, and that way, it's the brand that survives. Because, like, no offense these TV stations, they're wedded to the one technology they have. Yeah. The one exception is LEX, who's gotten really good on the web. Yes. So LEX is now great on TV, but also really good on the web. But we have the ability to be players in all of them. And you, you have to do Facebook, Twitter, website. You got to put it everywhere. To. You have to. I mean, we didn't even have a Facebook page till Maria till Maria started it. And our Facebook page is now the biggest of the of the sports sites, the, the newspapers and have bigger ones than ours. We were behind on Facebook. Twitter accounts, I have five times right. the followers that the other ones do. You cannot be – so for the future, you cannot be wedded to a technology. You have to be wedded to the brand and the content. So what, what, what's for radio, for just our radio show? Well, radio has – the key was the podcast. You remember when I started KSR, Howard didn't even want me to put the podcast up. And I was like, nope, we're putting the podcast up. Because the podcast gets not as many listeners as live, but it's, but it's close. Huge. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. close. It's right there with it. Yep. The podcast was huge. I think the thing now – is we're gonna? I think we're gonna want to make an on-demand KSR channel, to where there may not be 24 hours of live programming, but anytime anybody wants, they can hit and KSR programming is going. Whether it's putting our podcast playing, whether it's special events, whether it's that kind of stuff. Right. I think that's the next thing. iHeart is slow as, as shit about it. They should have already done it. They should be have jumped they, on it. They should have already done it. Yes. I mean, I, you talked about this idea two or three years ago. Listen, when iHeartRadio, the app started, the guy who used to be the regional boss named Kevin Legret came to me and said, this is what I want to do. We want to do it with ten shows around the country. Your boy Bobby Bones was one of them. Yeah. He was like, I want KSR to be one of them. I said, I'm in. Three weeks later, he took the head job in L.A., and now he's – he runs his, – he's Ryan Seacrest's boss. Now, he's literally Ryan Seacrest's boss. Oh. So, when we when we go to L.A. for stuff, he, like, takes me and, you know, they, they, it's he's my guy. But he's not my boss anymore. So, he can't, like, make anything happen like he could have back then. I knew it was a brilliant idea, whatever it was, two or three years ago. It still should happen. That's a it great should. idea to it do would, that. That would That'd kill. be the next step. The next step would be you hit a button, and no matter what – it's like Howard Stern. Like, I can get in the car, and I can hit on on Sirius XM, Channel 100, and I know something Stern-related is going to be on there. Same I, thing if it was KSR. It's like Pandora, but you're creating the KSR mm -hmm. channel, and it gives people – it gives us a chance to find new talent because they can kind of go in there. See, that's another idea you had. We see what's have a local oh, show. Dude, it's ridiculous that we're the only – like, it's ridiculous that we've scared all the competitors off, so there's no competitors. So why don't we create our own? Why don't you just buy it? Why don't you buy an XM channel? Well, I mean, if iHeart keeps – stock keeps plunging, maybe we will get to buy them. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there's no reason 
that WLAP, no offense to everything that's on there, shouldn't be 21 hours of stuff we program and Rush Limbaugh because you can't get out of Rush Limbaugh because he does good ratings. Yeah. Rush Limbaugh's the only national show that matters. The rest of them are – Sane Hannity? Ma- loses money. <laughs> I mean, R- Rush Limbaugh is the only national radio show that, that really matters. So 21 hours of us and Rush Limbaugh. I'm, that's, I'm, I'm that, in. That's what they should That's what they do, should do. But they won't. What are your favorite and least favorite – KSR stops that you've been on tour. <laughs> Great question. I love Conley Bottom. Every, we didn't get to go there this summer, but every time we do a show at Conley Bottom, it's always fun. Always fun. Love it there. Um, all right, for, well, my favorite ones we've ever done. I think our tour in December is the best thing we do. Yes, the trip we went to Vegas, the trip we went to LA. I just think all the little the stops mo- along the, the way. The mood we're in, the fact that we can be in a random place and things can happen. Mark Twain's hotel and was that Columbia, Missouri? Where were we? We did yes, the show there. That's right. And the haunted hotel in Oklahoma City. And we went to the Wizard of Oz place in got, Kansas. Got kicked out of the Peabody in Memphis. Yeah, I mean that. I I think you can make a strong argument that show of us getting kicked out of the Peabody might be our best show we've ever done. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> As crazy and awkward as it was, yes, because you know we replayed it. I got to hear the replay. I think our shows from the Republican and Democratic convention were great. Were also great. yeah, they were. I mean, good. I think the I think that Republican convention because we were such a fish out of water. It was the first one, and the Republicans care about talk radio. So like you had all these celebrities walking by all right all the yeah. time, which doesn't happen in the Democrat one. I, that to me was like. Everybody was skeptical about us going, but that was the best. I was skeptical until I got up there and I realized, wow, this is good radio. You know, this is enjoyable. And I think we did a, got a good uh, following, people tuning in because they knew what, it was craziness going on. Right, so what do you think are the worst places where we've done shows? Well, <laughs> trying to think. We did one in the media room at Oklahoma City before that Thunder game when we weren't supposed to be in there. And, and we whispered the whole time. And we had to whisper. And <laughs> people were mad at us and giving us the stink eye the whole time. <laughs> but see, the thing is, that's a hard question because when it's terrible, we try that we make it good yeah. by laughing about it. Yeah. So, like, it's hard to think of when, um, you know, I guess the worst are, I guess, <laughs> locations where we can't get good service. I mean, that's really like when we were in Madisonville at that one car dealership and we could never get on the air. Right. That Paintsville Arby's the one time we couldn't get that's on the true. air. That's true. Yes. Um, but I don't know. The Drew and I had to do a pregame show in Indianapolis where you had left to do the network pregame show and we didn't have a signal and we were at Tin Roof and we were up against the window touching the glass because the only way the, the signal was, like, clear enough that we could – Oh, that – you know, one of my favorite shows of all time was when we did the pregame show for UK L in a L bar. Oh, yes. Yes, in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. That, that, that might be – that was me at my wrestling heel best. Yes, it was. I mean, you gave me a room full of drunk L fans, and I just got to talk trash to them. That was kind of great. I, that's the only time I really thought – we're in trouble. I thought somebody's going to come after you Did or you really? throw something at you. Yeah. They were walking by you right in your face, giving you the double finger salute. Blank, blank you, Matt Jones. Remember that woman that puked all over herself? And yeah. Came up and she, she, she's mouthing at you. She's got puke on her shirt. I, I, was, I was serious. Remember, I got from behind the table. I went to the front of the table just because I thought somebody's going to come after him. Somebody's yeah. going to be – 
You know, I think another one of our best shows, we did a special afternoon show from the Final Four in Indianapolis. And Rex came on. And yes, it was, it you're was right. his first interview after he had stolen the – Right. The, the, he was uh, shaking when he was, he was shaking. talking to us. Kaylee was on with us, and we were watching UK practice. Right. And they let us – NCA let us do a show there. Um, that interview with Rex, you know, Rex has become such a controversial figure – and it's a shame because he really wants to be loved by this fan base, and I don't think he wants to admit to himself that he wants to be loved because he's been so used to being a dude who just was going to do what he did, what he does, and screw what people think about it, that I really wanted to help him. And I, and I think that interview helped him. I wish it could have been on the regular show because I don't know how many people got to hear yeah. since it was that special afternoon one. But it was that interview that he gave that day changed our fan base's perspective of him. The he, ones that heard it. The one that heard it, yeah. That's why I think Richie Farmer needs to do it. I totally agree, yes. I think Richie Farmer, it would be really valuable for him. I agree. If, if he would do that. Um, and maybe it'll happen one day. Rex won a lot of people over that day, and I think Richie could do the same. Um, what do you think has been our biggest show ever, Katina? <laughs> Every, people still to this day talk about that show. That hour that she was on – was amazing because she was – I'm telling you, sitting there, and we watched it, we periscoped it. She was not bluffing. She was not lying. She was just matter-of-factly having a conversation with you. Didn't hype anything. It was – Well, the two biggest shows listener-wise have been that one and the show after we beat Wisconsin in the Final Four where I literally did it from my hotel room on a cell phone, and I was just, like, giddy. Um to me, the most, the best show, the best shows from my, I think that Memphis show we got kicked out of the Peabody, Katina, because the whole state was listening to that. Oh you, yes. you, you know, even you Louisville could, fans, you could you know? feel it. Yep. Like, so, like I can feel when you got everybody, and you could feel that everyone was listening. To Absolutely, that. you could just, you could just feel it. I, I think that was the show we, the post game show after we won the national championship. Right. When I just was in the arena on a cell phone and Oscar Combs yeah. came on, Cal grabbed the phone and talked. Yep. Um, the couple people called and were crying. Yeah, that old man who called and cried. That was a that was a great just a great kind of thing. Now, from a practical standpoint, the most important show we ever did was the Republican governor's debate. Because it got Matt Bevin elected. It did. He I fully believe he won the election that day. The primary. The primary, yes. Won I the mean, primary. He won by eighty votes. Day. He won he just won the primary by eighty votes. And he came into that third place in all the polls. And when he walked in, I kind of became it's so bizarre now considering how much Bevan hates us, but I kind of became friends with Bevan's campaign manager. Still like the guy, still talk to him sometimes. He told me when they walked in, Bevan was the first guy to say yes, because he knew he had to do something. Because he was in third. Yeah, he was like third place. He's in third, and he knew he had to do something. He walked in, and his campaign manager looked at me and said, we're turning the election around today. Boy, they did. And I'm terrified myself because I never moderated a political <laughs> debate. And they did. And you knew it when it happened. When he yep. looked at Hal Heiner and said, I sat in your office, and you told me. You remember that? That was like sitting in that room. That was like a wow. That was big breaking news. It that was. That did not come out. Ever before. That was a wow. And you know what was funny? I dealt with the political people. Back when we first started, the sports media people all underestimated how important KSR was. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how many people listened, what being on the site was. Now they don't, right? I think Larry Vaught famously said to you, these guys just got to get over it because they ain't going anywhere. That's right. You yep. know? You got to get over it because they ain't going anywhere. And that's exactly right. The political people are still doing that to me now. Like, and, and that one, they tried to act like that was nothing. But both Bevan – Jamie Comer will tell you this. I don't know how Heiner's people. They will all tell you the election. How Heiner was in first place. He was in first that by day. a big amount. Yes. and he ended up coming in third by a big amount because he looked bad. And after that, debate. you don't remember what he looked the worst on was. I said, "Are you a Rand Paul or a Mitch McConnell Republican?" And he wouldn't answer. That's right. He said, "I like them both." And I went, "Now come on, don't do this to me. You got to say one." And he wouldn't. You remember that? Oh yes. Yeah. And that was. It, it, that that was a, a, a kind of a powerful. I think when we had Mitch McConnell on during that election, I mean, hell, that ended up. I was on MSNBC that night. I he, mean, that, yeah, because he he didn't handle it very well. You know, very powerful man in our country, and he came on our our sports show and didn't handle it very well. Lost terrible. his temper a little bit. Lost his temper. If he did that, then can you imagine if he had to deal with me <laughs> for a number of months? I, I tell you, another show that I'm very proud of, the one that we did, was the uh, the tornado telethon in West, West Liberty. Liberty. Yes. Raised a lot of money. Yes, that uh, that's that was like the first moment that I knew. Okay, this is really something special to see Big Blue Nation come together like that, mm-hmm. based on our radio show in West Liberty. Collectively, and this has happened a lot more in the last few months. The amount of people that have come up to me and said some form of, you know, this show got me through a cancer treatment or yeah. got me through what I mean. That has happened. I don't know if it, it seems to have happened a lot more recently. Those man, those get you. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, those get you. They just do. You talk about getting getting through a tough time just by tuning in the show every day from ten to twelve. You know, he one guy. I think he told you I was there that day. He said I used to get my chemo treatments every morning at ten o'clock, so I could I would just listen. You know, have the show there for you know, me. We I, we've now had done this long enough that there are people who come who would come to shows that I've watched die. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's happened now a number of times. People who were regulars who would come to shows who have passed away, and you know, like that stuff gets to you. It does. And it and it's a no matter what ever happens with this, it's been a blessing to get to do all that. It's humbling, you know, when you yeah. people tell you how much you mean to their lives or family, or like I like those stories where you know my dad and I we don't have a lot to talk about, but we always talk yeah. about KSR. What what Matt yell at Ryan about today? You know. <laughs> Yes. All right, last question. This person says, what is the most surprising thing about Ryan, Drew, Shannon, and Matt that people wouldn't know about them? All right, well, I can't answer about me. So well, we talked start. about a little bit. I talked with you. You talked about a little bit. People don't realize, I think, that they just list the show don't know. You've got a big heart, and you really care about your inner core of people, your family, and where you're from in the mountains. And I think – it comes out once in a while on the show, but I think when people that really know you, you take such good care of your people and your friends and all of us. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that I would say with Drew, I think people don't realize kind of how smart he is. Like people think of him just as like, and part of this is the image he's portrayed to people. True. But this like. Fireball, you know, like, like. <laughs> but he is a very smart person who is very calm, who um, 
has gotten me out of a couple of jams before by being like that. Yeah. Um, I don't think people I, – I think people portray him as like a dude who runs around with underwear on his head, and that's just not who he is. No. He, now, he parties a lot, but he's not like – not like a, a frat boy party but guy. I think I, but I see, I don't know what you think. I think he wants people to think that about him. So he like he like plays up that part. You know what I mean? With his Snapchat, let's go, you know, yeah. all that. Like I've said to him before. We he and I've had this conversation. I was like, man, I'm not telling you what to do. I love you no matter what. You do whatever you want. But like, why do you want that's not you. I know. So why do you want to portray that? And I do think that's changing a little bit, though, in the last six months or so. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I think he's settling down and settling in, and he may be our next wedding we go to. Maybe. Shannon, what would you say is the most? Surprising thing about Shannon? Uh, he's, he's, he's quite the mama's boy. He loves his nana, and he loves his mommy. Uh, good, good. Shannon's a good guy. I mean, he's one of those guys that we ever needed a ride from somewhere. Yes, he'd come and get. I also you. don't think people realize how antisocial he is. <laughs> he, that's another one that's that true. Like, he portrays as like rock and roll and all this, but he's like, he's kind of awkward in terms of when you're out somewhere. Yeah, like when we go on those road trips, he has long periods of time that he just wants to go away and be by himself. Yeah, you know, like he'll just disappear uh-huh. for periods of time. But he's a—I mean—he's obviously an awesome dude. But I don't think people realize kind of he's this rock and roll DJ guy who really just kind of sits by himself. You're right. He'd be the guy that would introduce a band on stage and then quickly run back behind and not. He'll watch the band. Yeah. But like he'll sit by himself. True. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Ryan, I feel like you are the—you are a hundred percent yourself on the air. <laughs> So it's hard to say what people would not know about yeah, you. Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty transparent. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just the only thing I would say is you exaggerate traits you already have on the air. Yeah. You're sort of yourself times twenty. <laughs> right? I guess you know, you and know, I talked about that one day. Life's too short not to be happy, man. You should you are very it happy. every You're day. You're a very happy person. Should be that way. I think the one thing people may not know is how you can get really damn angry. I can get mad. Quick. Like, really angry. Yeah. You know, just right over there. The only time you and I've ever fought was right over there. In that there. studio, and yeah. And I threw a headset at you, and that was <laughs> really stupid on my part. As they're doing the intro to the pregame show. I, I hit you in the head with a pair of headphones. <laughs> Can you believe now you did that? When you look back now. You know, I got to be careful, though, because I, I, I can get a hair trigger like, I can walk to a line and bring myself back, but occasionally not. Yeah. Right? Like, occasionally, like, I pushed a dude at Louisville Tin Roof one time, a L fan that just took me a little too far, and Perrin Johnson, if it wasn't, Perrin Johnson picked the two of them up and carried them out of the bar. Um, But you, I, that day, I don't know what made me get so angry, but I threw and hit you in the head with a head. I mean, we're like, we're like brothers. The four of us are like brothers. We're going to have issues once in a while, but for the most part, we got each other's back all the time. You know, we can talk bad about each other. Don't you talk bad about him or I'm going to come after you. That's no, kind of how that. I feel. All right, so 
All right. Well, so there you go. That was quite an episode. It's actually kind of long. It'll end up being about an hour and a half. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much. Well, hopefully, hopefully we can listen to like these three-hour wrestling podcasts as we drive across as we the go country. to the thing. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. So the Matt Jones podcast. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're subscribed to it. Do me a favor. Go on and like it and rank it. Like do the five star, leave a comment. That puts us up the rankings, and we do that. That's good for us for a variety of reasons. So if you haven't yet on iTunes, if you're on iTunes, go leave a comment, say you like it, give us stars, be nice if you gave us five. Um, if you don't want to, that's – well, Might as well do five. You'd be a jerk. I mean, why, what's what's it to you? It's five yeah, stars. Five stars. I mean, like what are you going to do? But either way, do that. And then next week uh, um, I'm working on – um, well, just over the next few weeks, we'll, I think we're going to do an hour with Mitch Barnhart, sort of talk about other sort of his career. Um, I'm going to have that congressman, Tim Ryan, on, who I really liked, um, and some other folks that are potentially uh, along the horizons that I'm working on. Good. Maria's going to have So to the Matt that. Jones podcast is back, baby. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. So we will see you later. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Oh!